This episode is brought to you by the Weather Channel app. Did you know the app can help you forecast more than just the weather? With allergy tracking and fluid mapping. So you know when to stay inside and load up on podcast, As well as air quality and UV indexing. So you know when to get outside, load up on sunscreen and podcast. Forecast more of what you love with the Weather Channel app. Hello everybody and welcome to Care Talk. My name is Laura Packard, and I'm the founder of Healthcare Voices, but I'm also a cancer survivor, and we're here to answer your healthcare and health insurance questions to make sure you get the care that you need. So please call or text in your questions, and we'll answer them in future shows. And right now, it's open enrollment time, which means you can get covered with affordable health insurance through the Affordable Care Act. So to tell us who's eligible and how you sign up for coverage and what the deadline is, welcome Zoid Finch from Health Sherpa. Thanks, Laura. So um, yeah, it's currently open enrollment for another few days with the Affordable Care Act. So um, most people who are either a citizen of the U.S. or a legally present immigrant, um, and there's a whole kind of list of different immigration statuses that apply on healthcare.gov, um, are eligible for insurance through the marketplace. Um, you also typically have to be under the age of 65 or not enrolled in Medicare. Um, and then on top of that, depending on your income and if you're offered any other coverage, you may also be eligible for subsidies that lower the cost of your um, monthly premium. Um, so you can go to healthcare.gov. You can also go to healthsherpa.com to see what you're eligible for and enroll. And you have until the uh, until January 15th to get coverage that starts on the 1st of February. Great. So you have one week left uh, to get covered with insurance if you are under 65. So right now, uh, open enrollment for Medicare might be over, but it is Medicare Advantage open enrollment. Uh, so uh, to answer the question of who's eligible and when does it end, uh, welcome Diane from Just Care and Social Security Works. Thanks, Laura. So yes, uh, the Medicare annual open enrollment period ended on December 7th. But if you're enrolled in a Medicare Advantage plan, one of those private corporate plans from Humana or Aetna or the like, uh, between January 1 and March 30, you have the opportunity to switch Medicare Advantage plans once, or even to switch back to traditional Medicare and get a uh, 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 Medicare Part D prescription drug. And you should look carefully at your Medicare Advantage plan during this time. I think part of the reason you have this opportunity is because things shift with Medicare Advantage plans all the time. Doctors come and go, uh, out-of-pocket costs change, uh, rules change for when you get your care, how you get your care. And so you have a chance if you signed up for a Medicare Advantage to look at the rules as they are now, not when you signed up back in, in December or November or October, and make sure that you're paying what you want to be paying for your health care and Medicare Advantage. Um, look at the out-of-pocket cap in your Medicare Advantage plan, because it can be as high as $8,300 a year for in-network care alone. It's typically about 5000 And keep in mind that 
if you're in traditional Medicare, supplemental insurance is usually only about 2,500 a year. So if you're using a lot of services, traditional Medicare can be a much more cost-effective option. That said, if you've been in Medicare Advantage for more than a year, um, except in four states, New York, Connecticut, Massachusetts, um, and, uh, for, and Maine, uh, you don't necessarily have the right to get Medicare supplemental insurance. So if you're thinking of switching to traditional Medicare, just confirm that you're able also to get uh, supplemental coverage to pick up your out-of-pocket costs, especially because traditional Medicare does not have an out-of-pocket Thank you, Diane. And if you're trying to find the right insurance plan uh, for you and your family, but still have questions or trouble figuring out what's the best plan for you, uh, what can you do? And is there free help available? Zoid? Yes, there is a lot of free help available. Um, so when you call into healthcare.gov, um, their call center can help you kind of understand um, the, you know, your, what your options. Um, also, if you call into um, my, our company, healthsherpa.com, um, we have a team of consumer advocates who are all licensed agents, so they're able to recommend different plans, um, and they're not paid any differently. Um, you know, they're just paid an hourly rate regardless of which plans that they sell. Um, and then you can also reach out to navigators and agents on healthcare.gov. They have a, a tool to search for local health. Um, so you can look for agents and navigators or other assisters in your area. Um, the primary difference is that um, agents can make plan recommendations, whereas navigators can't. Um, they are only there to kind of help you understand your eligibility and the process and kind of basic um, insurance terms, as well as help you, you know, with any follow-ups you might have where, you know, an agent should be doing all of that with you as well. They just can also make those plan recommendations. Um, they do make commissions on plans. Um, that's all in the back end. You shouldn't have to pay them for their service. Um, so if you're uncomfortable with the fact that they make commissions, you can reach out to navigators and assisters. Um, but there are, you know, many, um, qualified agents out there who can help. You. And Diane, uh, what about if you need uh, help figuring out the right Medicare or Medicare Advantage plan for you? Great question. So yes, there are also um, independent people available to assist you through your state health insurance assistance program. Every state has one. You can go online and just type in uh, SHIP uh, Medicare and you should get connected to uh, the one that's in your state. Uh, and you'll get independent assistance. You can also go, as I said, to an insurance agent, um, but you have to be careful with Medicare in particular because a lot of them work on commission and can steer you to Medicare Advantage plans that will uh, be good for their pocketbook and bank account, but may not be in your interest. I want to add one final note, which is with Medicare Advantage plans, it's pretty much impossible to find the plan that's quote unquote right for you. Um, that's because there's a lot about Medicare Advantage plans that we don't know. Um, they do get star ratings, but those are pretty much a joke. Uh, the quality data that's needed to assess Medicare Advantage plans is still not being provided by the Medicare Advantage plans to the government. Um, and 
for whatever reason, the government has not been hard on the Medicare Advantage plans to deliver that uh, information. So we don't really know quality differences. We do know that some have very high denial rates that are inappropriate and others don't. But again, we don't know which ones do and which ones don't. And as I mentioned earlier, the providers in their network can change from one year to the next or one month to the next. So you're never really sure what you're getting, which is which is hard for a lot of people. And if uh, if you're looking for an Affordable Care Act insurance plan right now, uh, you may see different metals listed. You may see gold plans and silver plans and bronze. And Zoid, can you tell us what the difference is between these uh, levels of plans and how you figure out which one is the best fit for your needs? Yeah, so... Um... The levels are ways of grouping the plans based on essentially how much of your care they're going to cover before, you know, you have to pick up the rest of the cost. So, um, and it refers to something called actuarial value, which is an estimate. It's not the exact, but it's an estimate um, of what percentage of your healthcare and healthcare costs that the insurance plan would be paying for. So bronze plans are 60% have a 60% actuarial value, which means for the average person, they'd be covering 60% of your costs. And those are going to be the cheapest per month, um, but they're going to have higher deductibles and out-of-pocket costs. Um, There's also an expanded bronze level, um, which covers a bit more, usually just by having some of those services covered before having to reach your deductible. And then we go into silver plans, which is a 70% actuarial value. So higher premiums, but you're going to have lower deductibles and out-of-pocket costs. And then as we go up into gold, 80%, and some states have platinum, which is 90%. Um, Another thing to note is that you may be eligible for cost-sharing reductions, or CSRs, depending on your income level. And those only apply to silver plans, um, but they make those silver plans, in some cases, even better than gold or even platinum plans, because they can bump them up to 73%. Um, actuarial value, 87% or even 94%, again, depending on your income. Um, so if you if you get a notice um, after submitting your application that says you're eligible for CSRs or for cost-sharing reductions, look at those silver plans. It's probably going to be your best bet. Um, and so that's one way of looking at the different insurance plans. It's important to keep the metal levels in mind. Of course, the metal levels aren't the only thing. It's also looking at the provider networks, the drum formularies, Um, and then other benefits that the plans may offer, um, but they all cover the same essential benefits. So that's why those metal levels can kind of help you figure out um, which ones you should be looking at. Thank you. And our next question is from Eileen in Illinois, uh, who's on Medicare and has a Medicare Advantage plan. Uh, Eileen is on survivor's benefits and has uh, many food allergies and can't afford uh, currently to purchase syringes or regular insulin. Uh, Eileen is out of money until survivor's benefits come in on the 18th and isn't sure what to do. it sounds like a nightmare. Uh, so Eileen is diabetic and needs help, but survivor's benefits haven't arrived yet. And Eileen is on Medicare Advantage. So uh, Diane, do you have any thoughts for Eileen? This is a hard one. It does sound like a total nightmare. Um, Medicare is supposed to cover certain medical supplies to administer insulin, like syringes, needles, alcohol swabs, gauze, 
and um, other insulin devices under the Medicare Part D prescription drug benefit. Um, almost all Medicare Advantage plans include the Medicare Part D prescription drug benefit. So I'm not sure why the Medicare Advantage plan wouldn't be covering these syringes. Uh, there is though a deductible um, that may apply, especially it's the new year. So that may be the issue here or co-pays or co-insurance. Um, it is the case though, getting back to what Zoid was saying about help for people, extra help um, in Medicare as well. And if your income is low, um, you should be qualifying for lower cost sharing for your prescription drugs and even for your healthcare services under either the Qualified Medicare Beneficiary Program or um, another program, Extra Help in the Part D Benefit is what it's called. So you may want to contact your Medicaid office, your state Medicaid office, because those um, benefits are available, even though they're not Medicaid, they're available through the Medicaid office. And you may also be available for Medicaid. So all of those would help with your cost sharing, and that might be a great place to turn. The other thing to do is to, if you'd like help, uh, contact uh, your local congressman's office and ask them for help. They're often very helpful or contact your state health insurance assistance program. Absolutely. And I'm not sure about if there's uh, state level protections in Illinois, but you may want to talk to your state representative and state senator to see if there are laws that apply. And also our special guest for today is going to be talking about the Inflation Reduction Act and what that means for lowering drug prices, uh, including capping the cost of insulin copays for people on Medicare. Although I believe that does not cover insulin supplies, it's just the insulin itself. But we will hear more about that in just a couple minutes. I'd also uh, like to add um, if, I mean, this doesn't obviously doesn't apply to just the insulin, but for syringes, at least, it's also worth looking into any harm reduction groups that are in your area. They're going to have a lot of those, um, you know, syringes and injection supplies, and they may be, also, may be able to help as well. Absolutely. And that is probably free. So yeah. definitely look into that. Uh, and our next question is a text from Stephanie in California, who uh, thanked us for a previous show uh, and uh, notes that the holes in our healthcare system are uh, ruining lives and that it's going to be something we're going to see more of as people face long-term care. So uh, we talked in a previous show about what long-term care options are available for seniors. Uh, but just to give a refresher, uh, Diane? Sure. Yeah. So the best long-term care coverage available to people with Medicare is through Medicaid. And that's only obviously if you're, if you're um, eligible for Medicaid, but Medicaid often covers a community assistance that people needing long-term care benefit from. Uh, so if your income is low or you can spend down in many States, just spending your money on healthcare can bring you down to Medicaid eligibility levels. That's often your best bet for getting uh, coverage for long-term care. Unfortunately, what Medicare covers is very limited. It covers care in a skilled nursing facility, but only for up to 100 days and only for people who have been hospitalized for at least three days as an inpatient in the 30 days prior to admission in a skilled nursing facility. And you're only eligible for skilled nursing facility coverage if you need 
daily skilled nursing or therapy services. So it's a very, very limited benefit. Medicare does also cover home health care services, and that's a little more generous, but it depends on whether the, um, the, the Medicare home health agency is willing to take you on and how long it is willing to take you on for. And the only way it covers you is if you're homebound, meaning that leaving home uh, requires a uh, taxing effort on your part. So it has to be hard to leave home. And then you need skilled nursing or therapy services on an intermittent basis. So not daily and not all day long, every day. Um, so again, um, that benefit usually only covers about 12 hours a week of home care services, but that's a big help for a lot of people. Unfortunately, long-term care insurance for most people is just unaffordable. Um, it doesn't cover all of the care you need, long-term care. It's usually limited. And you to qualify, you usually need to pay a bunch of money up front and need bathing and toileting and dressing help. And so that's often not the best investment. Absolutely. And this is something that Congress was looking at uh, with uh, Build Back Better, if you may have uh, heard of that, but they did not pass anything having to do uh, with uh, long-term care and um, care and services support in the home. So pay attention to Congress. Uh, feel free to contact your representatives and ask them to do something because this is a problem that's only getting worse. Diane? Yeah, one more thing. There's what's known as the PACE program, the program for all-inclusive care for the elderly, which is one of Medicare's best programs as administered by nonprofit institutions. And if you can get into a PACE program, uh, they will provide you with all the supports that you might need to age in your community. So it's worth looking into that as well. Absolutely. So thank you uh, for everyone who had questions. Please keep calling and texting in questions and we'll answer them in future episodes. And now I'm thrilled to invite our uh, special guest for today's show, David Mitchell from Patients for Affordable Drugs, and he will be talking about how the drug pricing provisions in the Inflation Reduction Act are going to impact Americans in the coming years. And uh, welcome, David. Well, thank you, Laura, very much. I'm, I'm glad to be able to be here. And today it's uh, now uh, going into the second week of January. Uh, what has the Inflation Reduction Act done for people on Medicare starting this year? Well, there's more than what starts this year. The benefits that were enacted, the reforms that were enacted last year under the inflation reduction will roll out over time. It's not unusual for a, a change of this magnitude to take time to implement. In fact, when the Medicare Part D plan, that's the prescription drug Medicare beneficiaries like many of us, uh, it was enacted in 2003, it didn't take effect until 2006, but we've got some provisions that are taking effect in this right now. And this is the Inflation Reduction Act represents the most sweeping reform to health care policy. I'm sorry, to drug price policy uh, in the United States since uh, the Medicare prescription drug benefit was enacted uh, back. In. But what's taking effect for seniors like myself right now? Well, this year, uh, insulin, uh, people who are dependent on insulin in Medicare will pay no more than $35 per prescription uh, as a copay. Also, uh, vaccines, adult vaccines, are now free under Medicare. This includes um, vaccines like 
the shingles vaccine, with which many of us uh, need and should have, used to cost somewhere between 175 and 200 bucks to get that vaccine. It's free now. Uh, and the process of limiting um, price increases year over year by forcing the companies that increase their prices faster than the rate of inflation to pay rebates, uh, that process is now engaged. Uh, and we have a way that we can pull back the reins on price increases as many of us, too many of us know uh, and have experienced, uh, the drug companies have raised prices at will uh, using the people of the United States and taxpayers as a piggy bank uh, because we granted them the power to raise prices as much as they wanted. Uh, now we have a way to constrain prices by forcing rebates to be paid to Medicare if they raise prices faster than the rate of inflation. And importantly, the measure of inflation isn't just price increases under Medicare, it's price increases across the entire healthcare economy. Uh, and so it puts a little bit of a break on them in the, in the private sector price increases as well, because how much they increase prices in the private sector and how much they increase prices in the public sector uh, will both be taken into consideration when deciding if they have uh, hiked prices and exceeded the rate of inflation. So that's what's taken effect uh, in this year. Now, there's much more good stuff to come uh, under the Inflation Reduction Act. And I'll take a minute just to mention some of them. Next year, um, for those of us who are unfortunate enough to be on very expensive drugs to stay alive, uh, there's going to be a cap on what we pay out of pocket, right? I have an incurable blood cancer and um, prescription drugs are keeping me alive, literally. Uh, right now, my doctors have me on a four drug combination that carries a list price of more than $900,000. Just one of those drugs <clears throat> under Medicare Part D, the prescription drug benefit, costs me more than $16,000 a year out of pocket. Uh, starting next year, that's going to be capped uh, at a level probably in the range of three to five thousand dollars. I'll no longer pay after I hit a certain level. So for those of us on on very expensive drugs, we're going to get some relief uh, from our high out of pockets uh, next year, and that affects all drugs for people on Medicare. Um, and we're going to expand the eligibility for low-income subsidies uh, for the prescription drug benefit, which will make access to the prescription drug benefit program uh, uh, more uh, less expensive for people. Um, and that's a big deal. In 2025, all out-of-pockets will be capped under the Medicare prescription drug benefit at no more than $2,000 annually. Right now, there's no limit. That's how I get stuck paying more than $16,000 a year. Um, and then in 2026 and, and after, uh, we will begin, we will have been negotiating 
but negotiated prices will begin to take effect uh, in 2026. Uh, 2026, and it'll be 10 Medicare, was 10 of the most expensive drugs for Medicare the first year, 15 more the next year, 15 more the year after that, 20 more the year after that. So by the time we get to the end of the decade, we'll be negotiating over 60 of the costliest drugs uh, for Medicare if we don't add to that number by uh, doing more, which we intend to do. Uh, so that's kind of a big, long overview. I hope I didn't talk too long. <laughs> uh, so tell us, uh, when this bill got passed, there was a movement in the Senate to uh, also cap insulin copays for everybody, not just people on Medicare, but what happened? There was. And the only the way the Inflation Reduction Act, uh, with all of its provisions, its climate provisions, its uh, uh, drug price provisions, the other provisions it included, uh, the only way that that could pass the Senate, given that there were only 50 votes, uh, there was not one Republican vote to be found, unfortunately, uh, to pass that bill. Uh since there were only 50 votes, it had to be done under an arcane provision, uh, arcane procedure called reconciliation. In If you use reconciliation, it has to have a direct impact on the federal budget or it can't be done through reconciliation. So the, the, the umpire of those decisions, whether something can be done under reconciliation or whether it, it can't, is the parliamentarian. The Senate parliamentarian uh, and the Senate parliamentarian took that provision to cap out of pockets for insulin monthly at 35 bucks out of the reconciliation package. It couldn't move that way. So there was a bipartisan bill brought forward by Senator Shaheen and Collins uh, that would have capped out of pockets for insulin at $35 a month across the whole economy. And it was brought to the Senate floor, that bill, and it was defeated. It needed 60 votes to pass. If you don't use reconciliation, you have to have 60 votes to pass it. It got seven Republican votes, three short of the 60 necessary to enact that bill into law. But we came this close. And by the way, we ain't given up. There are a lot of people, not just people who are dependent on insulin, who need uh, affordable drugs and affordable co-payments. Uh, and, you know, people who have autoimmune diseases, people with cystic fibrosis, people with cancer like myself, there are a host of conditions that require multiple sclerosis, I should be sure to mention, that require extremely expensive drugs. And they, the, all of those drugs, along with insulin, uh, need to be made affordable while we took incredible steps forward last year with the Inflation Reduction Act, there's much more to do, and we're working on doing it. And can you uh, talk a little bit uh, what all we could have happen next year? What should people be calling their senators and their representative about? What, what is it that uh, patients are asking for this year? We have four priorities uh, at Patients for Affordable Drugs. We're little you know, uh, we're not a big organization. And so we try to be very focused on, on what we do. The first priority we have this year is making sure that the uh, 
it's the Inflation Reduction Act provisions to lower drug prices are implemented effectively for patients. There is a whole bunch of work associated with making and implementing the policy. You know, uh, HHS is hired, I think, in the neighborhood of 100 people to implement the provisions of the Inflation Reduction Act. There's a lot of work to do, and we intend to support uh, enthusiastically and energetically uh, the implementation to make sure it's done in a manner that works for patients. For example, the $2,000 a year out-of-pocket cap also included a provision to smooth it out and equalize the payments every month. So patients didn't get hit with 2000 for an expensive drug like mine in January and then didn't have any out-of-pocket for the next 11 months. That's hard for a lot of people to absorb $2,000 uh, in one month. And so we want to make sure that the provisions are enacted in a way or implemented in a way that uh, looks after the needs of patients uh, and that we get the most out of what we passed last year. That's the first thing uh, we're focused. The second thing is it's time for us to look more closely at, at what PBMs are and are not doing. PBMs are uh, pres- uh, pharmacy benefit managers. They're the people who run your prescription drug insurance program. And they move more than $300 billion worth of drugs through the system every year, but it's all transparent. They're a black box. We don't know if what they do really is in the interests of patients, uh, whether it's to get the patient the best possible drug or to get the patient the, the least expensive drug among equally effective options. Uh, and so there's a big investigation underway through the FTC looking at how PBMs are conducting their business. There's also legislation, bipartisan legislation in Congress to address some of the issues with PBMs. Third, we are working to stop abuse of the patent system. Right now, uh, brand drug companies abuse our patent system and use it not to reward innovation, but instead to maintain monopolies for old drugs over a long period of time, much longer than intended under law. Uh, And so we are working with uh, several groups on uh, patent reform. And there is an initiative that was kicked off by uh, President Biden uh, calling on the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office to work with the FDA to do a better job to make sure that patents are not being abused to hurt consumers instead of help. And then finally, we are very concerned about um, the coming of very, very expensive cell and gene therapy. Right now, there are almost 400, at least, cell and gene therapies in development. These are remarkable drugs, many of them. Many may be cures. Uh, for certain conditions, uh, and they um, will change people's lives. But the most recent uh, gene therapy approved by the FDA a few weeks ago is priced at $3.5 million. Uh, and what Pharma wants to talk about is mortgages for people to have to take out to pay for these drugs. Right now, it because it, it, all they care about is how do we get our money not what is the fair price for the drug. Um, 
So we are uh, focused on how do we develop a system uh, that allows us to have a process to set an appropriate price for the drug that not only rewards real innovation, uh, but uh, that ensures affordability and accessibility, that, that balances out private profit with public. And uh, there's much work to do in this area. It hasn't hit us hard yet because most of these new cell and gene therapies are only for conditions that affect a few thousand people, like the $3.5 million drug. There are roughly 6,000 people. Uh, but there's probably a cure for sickle cell, a gene therapy for sickle cell, that affects 100,000 people in this country. And when we hit one of these remarkable new treatments that can help that many people, we have to have a way to arrive at an appropriate price. It can't just be letting multinational drug corporations say, this is what we're going to charge, and you have to find a way to pay it. That can't be. We can't do that anymore. And I believe that uh, the coming of these new treatments will force us to address this issue. And it's our fourth priority. Well, thank you so much, David. Uh, and thank you, everybody that joined us today. Uh, be sure to find David and Patients for Affordable Drugs if you're interested in fighting for affordable drugs for patients. And please, everyone, keep calling and texting in your healthcare and health insurance questions, and we'll answer them in future episodes. This is Care Talk. <laughs>